This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. 120 would be good in terms of health span, with the right diet, with the right supplementation, the right attitude, the right physical exercise. 120, I think, totally feasible. We'll go there. How about yourself, Peter? Hello again and welcome to Llama, the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, the power of food, plants in particular, to help us optimize our health and potential longevity cannot be underestimated. Indeed, nature itself is perhaps the most powerful tool we have to help us live well and to help us heal from some of the major diseases that life can throw at us. My guest today is Dr. Nora Caldi, the founder of Nuritas, a Dublin-based biotechnology company that brings together data scientists, biologists, AI, artificial intelligence, engineers, chemists and others with the goal of unlocking the benefits of nature to improve the lives of you and I. Dr. Caldi, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thanks a million, Peter. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, you know, talking to you and, and uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. It's good to talk to you. And that was obviously a very general overview of what you do. We're going to delve into it in some detail. We're going to talk about the molecules found in plants, peptides in particular, what they are and why they're important. But first, I would like to go back to the beginning for you. You're a mathematician, aren't you? Not a, initially a biologist by training. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my my background is, is very diverse. So I started off my career as a pure mathematician, so very theoretical. Um, so I could apply it really to anything. Um, I was always attracted to life science as well, but more probably attracted to mathematics. And it was a big choice to choose between both, but I went pure mathematics. And the interesting thing about pure mathematics, like I said, is that you can really apply it to everything. So at the end of my master's, the question was, what do I apply it to? And I could really go to anything, finance, uh, life science, uh, law, uh, engineering. And I decided to go after life science because it was really my second passion and I uh, found an area called bioinformatics and molecular evolution and comparative genomics as well. And I did a PhD really in drug discovery uh, at Trinity College, um, where I could apply mathematics, computer science to those areas of biology and understand humans better. I actually know quite a few people in a very a similar position to you, studied mathematics, studied computer science, and now find themselves in, in this field. And oftentimes they describe the human body as a as a computer, perhaps uh, rather than a natural being, shall we say. And they can apply their very logical mathematical minds to the human body, perhaps in a way that biologists traditionally haven't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, systems, biology and and. and and looking at a, a human as a, a system of interactions. But, you know, the, the funny thing is that we know so much as humans, and there's a lot we don't know. And the biggest question is, how much don't we know? So is it a huge gap or is it a small gap? No one really knows. And it's humans are very complex. We know more about the universe than we do know about ourselves. So it's, it's yes, uh, applying a systems biology is what we do. 
Um, but obviously there's a lot of gaps there. We still don't understand the full picture, but it, it is the way to, to move forward. It, it really is to understand those interactions, those molecular chemical interactions, the pathways that underline our, our well-being and, and health in general and, and how all that fits in, you know. You mentioned bioinformatics. What is that? So bioinformatics is an interesting area of biology that intersects with other technologies like computer science, for example, and mathematics and physics. Um, and basically, it's a way to look at biology in a very systematic way, uh, like a map and to understand how things work at the molecular level and try and, and, and understand that at the molecular level and how can you rewire it or, 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 or move it from a, a, a state to another state. So it can be applied in different ways. So, for example, my experience with bioinformatics has been to look at different species and compare them and understand how certain species have certain behaviors or, or have, have certain chemicals that they produce um, and others don't and why that is. And, and you can't do that by hand. It's impossible. So you need computers and supercomputers to be able to actually look at all that data. And, you know, during my years, we've, we've been looking at uh, mammals, you know, over hundreds of millions of years, being able to compare them, to compare the molecules in between them, understand how they interact, um, how they came about, what, what genes they lost, what genes they gained, and, and so forth. And so it was this area of interest that led you eventually to looking at plants and the molecules contained within plants that could be beneficial to us. Just explain that area of interest and why it so piqued your interest. So Peter is really interesting. What got me really in this area is actually wallabies. Ah. Uh, and it's a funny story. So so I worked in, in the whole area of molecular evolution, looking at these molecules that could actually um, give us uh, future drugs or, or create, we, we could create drugs from them. And what was interesting was I, um, after my PhD, there was this very large consortium that was coming together and it was a mixture of industry and academia. And their goal was to understand the molecular structures in milk from dairy, so bovine milk. And what I did before I took the, the position there to lead the bioinformatics part is that I went to um, a conference. It happened to be in Napa Valley, and it was about wallaby milk. And, and I, I literally came out of it with like, I, I came out of it gobsmacked in, 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 I couldn't say it in better words. So the reason was that they had found that if you take a wallaby and you gave the wallaby uh, an older wallaby's milk, um, so, you know, wallabies are, are marsupials. They come out as, uh, as fetuses, really, and they, and they, and they develop in the, in the pouch. Yeah. And, and what they did is they took two wallabies, uh, exact age, and they gave them two different milks. The first was the normal milk they take at that age. And the second one, they gave it a, a milk that was from an older wallaby. And the differences, the physical differences that was seen between both was just dramatic. Like, you'd never think they're both the same age. One of them was weak and... And, and, you know, no fur could barely move. And the other one was very big, um, mostly furry and could hop all over. So very, very different. And then they realized that basically the, the differences are the composition of the milk um, was very different. And the molecules in, in that milk was extremely different. So the, some of the milks that was given to uh, some of the peptides, these are specific molecules found in the, that milk, um, changed over time. So the early peptides were focused on developing the, um, the internal system. So gut, brain, 
but not the outside. And the later milk was focused on developing the muscle and the fur. And for me, that was really both shocking, incredible. And I came out of it saying, we know so little about nature and we know so little about these incredible molecules that lie in nature and how they can totally influence our development. And if someone could understand them and find them, we could literally cure any disease. And that's really the reason I started working. And I'm like, okay, let let me now um, really use my background um, to come into this area where it was really void of technology and start really understanding how can we understand nature better and decipher it better. And, And that's what I've done after that. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Let's just go back to wallabies. This isn't a, a rabbit hole that I was expecting to go down in this conversation, but it's fascinating. <laughs> so just, just a couple of quick questions. Are you referring to the age of the mother in terms of producing the milk? That's a good point. As opposed to the stage of the lactation. So we're not talking about colostrum, the, the, the first milk. Colostrum is very early. It's only the early days. And then that's, in, let's say, in humans, for example, milk changes, but not dramatically because we're not coming out as fetuses. We've already, we've developed quite well. And the early milk, which is colostrum, is focused on the immune system. Right. Here for the wallabies, the mother is the same. It's the same mother, the milks, and sometimes she'll have two babies. And basically what they've done is that they've, they've taken the two wallabies, one wallaby with earlier milk the first few months, and the second wallaby with the latter few months. Right. And the changes are so dramatic. And the changes, obviously, in, in marsupials and in general, the milk changes really, the composition of milk changes very quickly all the time to to trigger certain parts of the development of the wallaby. That is fascinating, isn't it? And it's a good system. It's an incredible system to learn. It's an incredible system. And that's wallabies. That's one species. And then you realize that, wow, okay, so if this happens here, so, okay, so many other species would have the same thing. And the question is, well, are these specific molecules called peptides, which are the major building blocks of the human body as well, and the major signaling molecule in the human body, are these, you know, only found in milk? uh, um, Or can we find them in other source materials, more plentiful sources like plants? And that was my mission then. It was, okay, these incredible molecules are found in, in, in milk because obviously milk has evolved to develop the neonate, um, and to augment their performance, and and um, but actually, can can we find these in other sources? Because obviously, if we're going to data mine wallaby milk, who's going to be the the sample size is very small. So um, so then uh, the mission was okay. Can we find these peptides in in plants? And what's interesting is that peptides are everywhere. So um, can we find peptides in plant that can improve human health? Because unlike wallaby, uh, we're closer to the wallaby than we are to, to, to plants. So the question is, can we find them in plants? And what's interesting is that, um, and I realized that really after my PhD, is that when you eat plants in general, foods, uh, foods coming um, 
you know, w- with the, when the source is a plant, you don't get a lot of these activities. So the activity of the peptides disappears because you break it down and you're, you, you digest it and, and really those benefits go away and you don't get them. And the question for us is how do we identify those benefits in a plant and make them available to people? So identify those peptides um, and make them available to people. Well, the, the wallaby story certainly illustrates the incredibly sophisticated nature of the, the natural world. Yes. And as you've implied, there is so much to learn. So let's move on to developing your company and looking further into the peptides that are found in plants that can potentially benefit us as human beings. So the, the story then was that I realized that there are some incredible components in nature that can improve human health. And I was focused specifically on peptides. And peptides, for everyone listening, it's, it's simply a short protein. So everyone has heard of proteins. Peptides are just simply the shorter version of proteins. And they basically lie within the protein. And uh, like I said, when you eat a lot of these incredible whole foods, you get, you know, some nutrients from them, etc. but you don't get a lot of those health benefits. Actually, you lose them. So the question was, how do we get, how do we use the full potential of food and how do you use the full potential of plants? And, and this is where Neurotas came about. So I founded Neurotas on that principle of let's really um, enhance human health. Um, let's um, empower humans to take control over their health but let's find those health benefits in everyday plants that we kind of overlook and we're not taking that benefit uh, and we're not using that benefit the right way. And the question then was, well, how can we make this possible? Because if you look at the industry, it's taken, you know, 30 to 100 years to develop active ingredients, okay, that improve human health. If you look at omega-3, if you look at, you know, um, all, all types of minerals and, 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 you know, if you want to develop an ingredient, you can't wait 30 or 100 years. Um, so the question is, how do we accelerate that, that discovery? And my background coming from a data point of view, I realized that there, there, were, there was no other way but to introduce machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, and going into these different plants and looking at all the molecular structures within them, specifically we're focused on peptides, because again, that's the major signaling molecule in the human body. Um, And how do we decipher that information? How can we pinpoint very quickly on the computers, which ones are the ones that we're not getting and that have a very interesting health benefit? Um, And how can we make them available for humans? How can we scale those products? How can we make them available? And that's really has been the mission of Neurotas. And, and I can give you the example I'd, I'd like to talk about is, is one that we found in fava bean. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Give me an example of, of what you found and how as human beings we can benefit. So the example is, um, so there's a product we launched. Uh, it's the first product, one of the first products we launched. And, and we're really proud of it because it took a long time to build the technology to a point where we proved the technology and then we could go and search for, for these types of molecules. So the first one is called, um, the first one is called Elio Restore. And it's a product that we found in fava bean. And as an example, okay, so uh, muscle decay and, and muscle decline um, starts from very early on, starts from the age of 28, 30. Um, we start losing skeletal muscle cells. We start losing um, we, and even the performance of the cells that are, are in place declines. And the question is, how do we 
identify a, a, a combination of molecules, RNA molecule from nature that can actually um, stop that from happening or at least, you know, slow it down. And what we did is that we searched for three different mechanisms. It took a while to build this project. We, we, we looked for three different mechanisms that underpin uh, muscle loss. And that is inflammation. So when you start, you know, usually muscle loss is a combination of three things. You start, uh, inflammation goes up, you start, your, your muscle starts producing less protein. And then your muscle also starts um, uh, producing less protein and starts degrading faster. And the question is, how do, we, how do we stop all that at the same time? How do we target those three very distinct pathways at the same time? And so we use our technology, which again took us a few years to build, uh, to, to go into nature and literally go into every plant available to us and start looking for ones that would have those three mechanisms hidden within it. Let me just jump in that. You say go into every plant that's available to you. That, that sounds like a, a daunting task. Yeah, it's, it's a big one. But we've been working behind the scene as well on gathering a lot of the samples, a lot of plant samples from around the world. Um, we obviously, for every project, we will focus on, you know, a subset of interest. For example, if it's going to be in foods, we will focus on foods only. Um, if it's going to be in the dietary supplement area, we will, we will open up um, other, other sources as well that may not be food. But so in this project specifically, we want it to be food grade. So we focus on all plants that were food grade plants so we, that we could eat. I'm curious, there are clearly certain parts of the world where people are known for their longevity. I'm curious, did you focus on the diets and the plants that certain populations eat that seem to be benefiting without the benefit of science, just through history and culture, seem to be benefiting from their diet? So the choices here, Peter, it, it's you could, you could. So you could determine a subset. And we have that data. We could determine a subset of plants that we said, OK, let's focus on. But we didn't want to really bias it at that point. We just said, let's find a plant that, um, that if you eat, you, you won't get those benefits. You'll get the nutritional benefits, but you won't get that kind of modulatory benefit. And let's find ones that um, have that benefit and um, ha have, has all three of the activities we want within it. And fava bean came up as, as the ingredient, as the source. And it's funny because, again, when you eat the fava bean, you do get the nutritional part, but you don't get that benefit of the muscular benefit. And what we showed then is that there was three different peptides within the, uh, the fava bean, lying in totally different parts of the fava bean. Um, that targets those three areas. So one would reduce muscle degradation um, and targets various very specific pathway. The other one would would improve muscle synthesis, and the other one would reduce inflammation. And together, the combined activity we've we've been tested at preclinically and three clinicals by the end of the year. Uh, one already done, one ongoing, and the third one by the end of the, the year. All double blind placebo clinicals. And the results, again, are phenomenal in terms of the activity of this. Because currently there are no real solutions to muscle regeneration, muscle decline with aging, except usually protein is given. But it's very hard when an engine is broken, giving it more petrol is not going to make it work. You know, you have to fix the engine first. In terms of this research, then, what is the or what was the next stage to convert your findings uh, after scouring the properties of, of many plants, converting that to something that we can use? The funny thing about science, Peter, is that 
Going from science to commercial is an interesting, it's an interesting step. Okay. Um, first, the science needs to be obviously translatable. It needs to, it needs to support a consumer need that is there and, and viable. But also it has to hit so many other areas. So it has to be functional. So you have to prove that it works, um, which we've done and, and with, with all the clinicals and preclinicals and publications behind it. Um, but then with Elio Restore, for example, we had to also make sure that the, the product was stable, that, the, that we could scale it in a cost-effective way, that, you know, that um, uh, it, it, you know, you could put it in a hot area and, and, and the molecules themselves would stay stable, that, um, uh, that it's bioavailable as well, that when you take it orally, because this is an oral uh, food ingredient, when you take it orally, that you're not going to break it down, that, the, the, that it works still. And, and I think, so there's a lot of other tick box areas that are as important as the science that you have to also tick while developing a product. And so... Um, yeah, and the team, both the science and the, and the pr uh, product development team were, were incredible. It took us quite a few years to develop a lot of the products we have. The, the first launch, like I said, is Elio Resorb. We have quite a few behind it. It's really that combination of very different people coming from very different fields that made it happen. Also identifying a consumer need because aging muscle is a massive, massive area. We're all aging. Uh, a quarter of the world is already there and it's going to grow very fast from there. And, um, and there's clear need to, to improve our muscle health for multiple reasons. One is that we need to, you know, we, we need to perform the same way. Everyone, I, I want to perform the same way I did a few years back, both physically and mentally. Uh, mobility is a big one, but it's not just mobility, it's more performance, energy and, and metabolism. It's all connected to muscles. So it's super important. And then we worked on other areas as well, Peter. So metabolism is another, and we, we did some work with pre-diabetics and then in general cellular aging. So we did some clinicals on, on skin, for example, with cellular aging, where we reverse, we're trying to reverse the cells age in a holistic way, pushing different pathways towards restoration of the of the cell looking at this from the consumer's perspective clearly it's often very difficult for individuals to know what they are going to most benefit from in terms of some form of supplementation and i think we can all acknowledge that muscle strength as we get older is vitally important but as science develops there's your company there are other companies as well developing products and is this lingering huge sort of question mark hanging over what should I do that's going to be best for me and how can I best decide? It's funny you hit that point, Peter, because that actually, I spoke about that a lot. Like when you go into stores, um, whatever that store is, a CVS, a Walgreens, you know, and, and you're hit with that kind of like number of, of products on the shelves and you're like, okay, what, first, what do I take? What do I need as a person? And then when I know what I need, so many within that area as well. So which one is actually better for me? And it's that kind of personalization and, and precision nutrition that is currently missing. Now, technologies are getting there. I mean, wearables and, and, and technology uh, from pure tech perspective are getting there. And there's ways to measure biomarkers and you as a person. But currently, there's no solutions given to these individuals. And the reason, so they'll tell you, for example, I did a DNA test recently enough, and I know that my family has a, some history with cholesterol, okay, and 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 so, and I didn't know that at all. Now, I, I'm not a 
you know, I don't go eating fat a lot, but mm. it's actually, it's something where I'm like, okay, how do I prevent anything that could happen in the future? What can I take now? And, and other things, metabolism and so forth. And the reason there is no solution currently is that a lot of what's out there is not personalizable. And what I mean by that is that in order to personalize something and to make it very precise to the individual or a group of people, you need to understand exactly how that product works, why it works, how it works in the human body, because you can't personalize it if you don't know how it works. And, and I'm guessing, no, it's not a guess, we've, we've calculated that over 99%, it's actually close to 100% of ingredients that are included in both dietary supplements and foods, currently no one knows how they work. They may have a clinical attached to them. They may have some support and science attached to them, but really no one knows how they work. So it's very, very hard to personalize them. That's one of the issues that the, the knowledge base is spread quite thinly. And talking about individuals, where do they get most of their information from? Well, apart from advertising and television and what they see in the store, hopefully it's through asking questions of the main health provider. And very often that health provider is, I've got to say bluntly, totally unaware of the kind of science that you're yes, talking about. Yes. And, and, that's, and that's important for us. So we have been starting to, to, to start the conversation with health providers and, and to understand that the, um, what we're developing and it takes a long time to develop. Okay. It took us a long time to get already just the technology in, in place. And then from the technology to actually get a product, that's another story as well. It takes longer and to put in the time to do the science, you know, to do the clinicals, to measure the effects of the ingredients, etc. So, uh, and to understand how things work. So the, the difference between identifying something randomly, or we found something from curcumin that has an effect to using machine learning and AI where you actually know the molecule, you now know how it works and why it works. That brings a precision to what you're doing and another level of science and rigor to what you're doing. It's like a pharma level science to a natural source, which is, again, that, that's, that, that intersection is, is, is very rare and, and, and that's what we're trying to push forward. And so everything we do we know exactly how, how it works, what are the molecules within it that do or have the functionality, um, that we're, we're not getting it from the source itself. We know how they work and we know why they work. And, and that's what we're bringing to consumers with a lot of science behind. So absolutely, I think healthcare um, individuals are, are definitely, as well as consumers, are, are kind of um, lost in the in, in a lot of, let's say, of the marketing and, 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 and internet. And, and, but, but at the end of the day, there are very, very few that have the science behind and the characterization and understanding, fundamental understanding of how, how things work. I want to ask you about what I think is a fascinating paradox, and that is the fact that food is one of the major problems around the world in terms of leading to disease, overeating, obesity, obviously the main one. Whereas you're looking at food as the solution. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of work clearly to do in terms of education and, and mindset as to how people look at food and its potential for us. Absolutely. I think food is really the solution. And it has been a problem, but we shouldn't be seeing it that way because um, it's, it's part industry made. So a lot of... Um, when you when you start producing large scale and everything's focused on taste only, um, 
the driver is very different. So your focus on taste, so obviously higher salt, higher sugar, and, and loads of additives, etc. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about how do you how do you um, remove some of these and 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 replace with with healthier uh, ingredients. Um, and but but not lose on taste. I think taste is very important, and it's something that I didn't touch. But everything we do as well is okay. How how can we make it taste neutral, where it can be formulated without actually modifying the taste of the original product? Because that's very important for the food industry and and some other supplement and and dietary supplement. Not not so much so, but so it's how do you combine ingredients? How do you look at food? How can we use food better? Because we're not using it the right way. We're plants, a lot of what's in plants, we're not getting those health benefits at all. And that's even when we eat the whole foods part of the plant itself. So food in general has been seen as the problem, but it can be really turned very quickly into a solution done the right way. And it's a big commercial issue, of course, as well, isn't it? The, the food producers and manufacturers have an incentive to sell food that tastes good, but not necessarily going to do us a lot of good. There's a huge, again, it's a, a mindset from the manufacturer's perspective and perhaps advertisers as well. Yeah, that's true. And I think, but things are moving because I think consumers are becoming more knowledge-based consumers and food is moving towards this whole knowledge-based food industry as well. And I think there's a big shift and we can see it by the approaches we're getting from large CPGs. Um, they're all interested now in developing healthier products. So may, they may not touch their major, you know, their major products that are known to be unhealthy, but it's creating versions of those that are healthier for you. Um, that with no compromise to taste. And I think that's doable. And, and then, um, and then from a dietary supplement, it's really about, it's really about, you know, upping the science to a level where we know that what we're taking will work. You know, we don't have to question, we know this, this will work on, on me and on, on the group of people that suffer from a certain condition or, um, yeah. And those things will happen or are happening at the moment. So, which is good. I'm interested, and I always ask my interviewees this question towards the end of the podcast, and that is based on what you have learned through your career looking at this area and looking at your own longevity, your own aspirations to have a great health span, the number of years that you optimize your health. Day to day, how do you apply the science to yourself? Okay, so I'm not an extremist in terms of diet, so I eat a bit of everything. Okay, so I won't go extreme on anything. I think a balanced diet is always great. Um, and I think being, you know, having a bit of everything in your diet is, is, is good. There are things that I do on a daily basis. I'll take a, a Brazil nut once a day for, uh, for selenium and, and so forth. So that's, you know, th those are things I'll do. I, I do take LU Restore and the other products we're developing behind the scene that aren't launched yet. Uh, I take it as a powder. And it's interesting because to think about it, because that was a concept a few years and to actually make it into a powder and now being able to take it. And for me, that's more from a performance perspective, from an energy. I feel it, I feel it from an energy perspective. But long term for me, it's, it's again to maintain my muscle as long as I can. Because it, it is literally the, um, the first sign of aging with sagging, et cetera. That's, that's linked to muscle as well. It's, it's something that happens internal that we never think about, but it's something that 
everyone goes through. Oh, yeah. And and, and then ultimately, of course, frailty yeah. is one of the biggest problems yes. as people get over the age of maybe 60 or, or 70, that it, it very often can be the beginning of the end, the frailty that leads to, to falls and to broken bones and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So over a lifetime, I totally agree with you, muscles and muscle strength is crucially important. And then things like obviously exercise, water, um, so n- not extreme in anything. I think a balanced diet is always important. Um, some exercise, a lot of liquids. Health spam is is <laughs> is um, is gonna is gonna expand, and everything we're doing here in terms of you know the types of peptides we're developing, etc. That all that is is targeted towards that improvement of health spam. And do you have a? A health span goal. I know a lot of people that work in this space have goals in terms of their own longevity. Uh, you know, some are quite extreme goals that insist that they can live to 120 because the science actually supports that. Are you the kind of person that looks ahead and say and says, "Okay, well, this is my goal. This is my personal." So, 120 would be good in terms of health span. And do you think it's realistic? I absolutely think it's realistic. Absolutely, with with the right diet, with the right supplementation for your own. Um, and, and there are ones, certain supplements that I think everyone should take, you know, uh, certain ones are going to be more specific to certain groups, but, uh, muscle is one that's for everyone, you know, metabolism for everyone. But if it's more for diabetics, that's the population of pre-diabetics and ones with impaired glucose, I think. So at 120, I think totally feasible. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I think with the right, you know, frame of mind, the right, um, the right attitude, the right, uh, physical exercise and a, and a bit of, you know, having a diet that's really balanced, I think it will go there. How about yourself, Peter? Well, I'm going to say it's great to hear you say that because I often throw that out there and, and most people will dismiss it as, as unrealistic Oh yeah, still yeah, no. at, at this stage of the science. So I think it's exciting that you should say that. My, I mean, very similar. I, I want, I mean, the health span is something I talk about all, all the time on this podcast. And I think that's what's crucially important. And if I could have a, a great health span of 90 or, or 100 yes. and that, that's remaining vital and physically active and socially involved yes. and intellectually involved and, and all of those good things, yeah. that would be great for me. The, the, the worst scenario is a long lifespan, but a lifespan that isn't yes. particularly good and one that you can't relish and enjoy every day. So I, I'm, I'm definitely with you. I don't have a number yet. Maybe I'll formulate a number in the next few <laughs> years, months, who knows. But um, a, just a long health span, I think, is crucially important. And I think it's important, and you, you've done a great job in just explaining what that phrase yeah. means uh, and the relevance of health span. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, yeah, we've we've actually written a paper about it because basically what we're seeing is that health span has not really changed, but lifespan has. So we we're living longer, but we're we're sicker for longer as well. Yeah, and that really needs to change. So uh, and we can't easily. Um, and diet is the one thing we do every day is diet is eating and drinking. It's not taking drugs. That's too late. It literally is the years we're eating and drinking. How can we? incorporate things that are just going to help us without even knowing about it. You know, they're going to help us and live a lot healthier for a lot, lot longer. Just in closing, what is the next step in your work and your research and for your company? So um, thanks for asking, Peter. Um, So we want to be in every home by 2030. So inside our foods, inside our beverages, our supplements, our medical foods and and drugs in the future. And, And to do that, 
we are doing it in two different ways. One is that we partner with large companies and we, we, you know, we give them our ingredients in a way. We license our ingredients to them so they can actually start producing healthier foods, healthier products. But then we've also launched our own line of products, direct-to-consumer products. And, and Elio Restore is the first one of those. And we intend to grow that. And that's really specifically focused towards aging and, and longevity in general. So healthy aging. And, and, it start, and the healthy aging really starts early. It should really start, a, not from birth, but a little later. But we should start thinking about it very early. Yeah, I'm glad you make that point too, because I, I say that repeatedly that it's it's all very well talking to people in in middle age or yes. you know, the beginning of the final chapter. Yeah, the real message has got to be directed to people in their twenties and thirties, and and sadly that is, and through experience of talking to people, that's the the generation that doesn't think much about aging and longevity because at that stage in life you're going to live forever and you don't need to think about what you're eating and drinking, which of course isn't the case. And if only, and you're doing a good job of getting that message out that if only people thought of and you know life goes. Quickly, yeah. If you could only start thinking about it in your 20s and 30s, I think you'd be doing a lot better in your 80s and 90s. But it's funny because when you think about it, people see their outside, okay? You're looking in the mirror. That's what you see. So when the outside is okay, you're not really worried. But when you start seeing wrinkles and, and, and sagging and, you know, <laughs> that's literally happening in your body, inside you for many years beforehand to get to that stage outside, so, and it's a pity we couldn't see ourselves from the inside. That's actually the, the, I think the day will come where we would see, we would have, we would monitor the inside of us much more. And, and I think then the realization would come earlier then, because you're not just looking at you in the mirror. You know that you're, you're aging very quickly inside as well. And you may not see it till years later. Nora Cowley, this has been a really fascinating but it's an inspiring conversation. Thank you very much. Indeed. Thank you, Peter. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And if you want any more uh, information, please go on neurotasso.com or eliolife.com. Thank you very much. Thanks, Peter. And thank you. And exactly, I can put all of that information into the show notes for this episode of the podcast. And if you want to check out Nora's work, please go there. We're at the Live Long and Master Aging website. That's llamapodcast.com, double L-A-M-A podcast.com. In social media, you'll find us at llamapodcast. You can contact me, at Peter Bowes. The Llama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. A quick reminder, we're now also available at audible.com. You might listen to books there. You can also download this podcast free of charge. Wherever you find us, take care and thanks so much for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Ruud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.